for today's Living Writers. We replay an episode that first aired in April 2015 with author Courtney Mom. She will be in town in Ann Arbor on June 6th to read from her second novel, Touch, at Literati Bookstore. So here is novelist Courtney Mom. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Today, I'm so happy to have in the studio, here in person, Courtney, mom. Courtney, welcome. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Well, it's lovely to see you. <laughs> and um, it's we're taping the show. It's it's April 9th, and you're in town to read um, at Literati. Yep. Um, and it's in um it's to celebrate the paperback release of yes. I am having so much fun here without you. I am having well, I'm having fun with you. Oh. But it's kind of you to say. Courtney is now looking shyly down at the WCBN <laughs> table. Um, and so the book came out in hardcover last year. Yeah, in June. In June. And, and here we are. And here we are. And so and and so um, and you've got the hardcover I, well, you know, edition with you. I know. I was thinking, like, gosh, I should, I should be promoting the, uh, the, 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 the sort of platform that it's in right now. But the thing is, I keep all these extra things in it. See, the, I love like, that. That's the first book I ever wrote when I was a little tiny girl, and I can't. What's there's it no called, room. Courtney? What is? Oh, you didn't. It, it was a What's... bestseller. The Magic Rose Bush. <laughs> I didn't bring my coffee for the, you the to magic, sign. The Magic Rose Bush. And um, yeah. Courtney, could you tell us a little bit about? A brief summary of the magic rose bush. <laughs> okay, well, is, um, it, is it a rose bush? So it's actually magic. It's really sad. It um, the reason it's stuck in my book is because my book is about um, monogamy and marriage and infidelity and the frustrations that come from trying to be with the same person, you know, over a period of time, and um, you know, it deals deals with the potential of of divorce. And uh, right before my book came out. I'd been looking through a crate of, you know, old writings and stuff, just feeling kind of nostalgic and excited and proud. And I found this, and I wrote when I was like six or seven, and um, it was around a period of time in my own life where my, my parents were just fighting a lot. You know, things were really bad. They ended up getting divorced about two and a half years later. But um, at that time, I just, I don't know, I was, it felt like the house was going to fall out from underneath us, you know. And so the story, I read it, it was so sad. It's about, a, it's called The Magic Rosebush, and it's about a, a little girl whose, whose parents are fighting, and she goes out into the yard, and there's a magic rosebush, and when she cries on it, uh, the bush moves aside and reveals a staircase down into a, like a happy underworld with all these basically delightful elves that have really functional families and so she eats dinner with them and sleeps over and has tea and is just taken and is shown what like a functional family would be like but they tell her that she can't stay you know that her she needs to go back up into the house where her her parents are and it's, it's like 
This is really sad. Like, does but, she go back up? Like, why yeah. did, did they say why she had to go? Well, just like, because what was better she about still going? had a family up there, and you know, and uh, and that's what you do is you see it through. You with see your it family. through exactly. Yeah. So it was amazing. I looked back and I thought, wow, well, I already found all my themes. Yeah. As this little girl, because and you said six or seven year old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's so I, I and I have other things in in my hardcover, and sometimes I have people sign the book, and this is kind of a sentimental, it's like a talisman it for is, me. That's so what I, I was just, and it's laminated, so if I spill on it, <laughs> it is. I can attest you to know, that. I'm, I'm just, a pretty messy person, so this way. <laughs> Did you laminate protect, the cover? I laminate everything. I have do, a little bit of a, a laminator obsession. I don't like it's a it's a that's writing a, process thing for me. The minute a manuscript, a draft is done, I take it to Staples or you know wherever, and I get it coil bound and like with a laminate cover and I it's just I don't know what my deal is but it makes it feel <laughs> like somewhat whole it's, it's like it's, a next step for me the lamination yeah <laughs> that is brilliant I love that yeah, I lamination it's a little odd, the next but... step but an odd step is yeah. always the best yeah and it does make it more real doesn't it and I'm just it? constantly spilling things you know and I don't so it's like, practical yeah the lamination is practical <laughs> It has a practical application. <laughs> As I'm eyeing your water right. bottle near the, follow the at any computer. Time. Yeah. I won't do it here. This one is special. Like, it's hard to tip over. It's like a weeble wobble. Yeah. And, um, well, Courtney, I, you know what? Before we go any further, I'll just, um, you're so, you're so easy to talk with. I, I will actually just read the short bio on the back of your debut novel. I am having so much fun here without you. Um, Oh, debut novelist Courtney Mom graduated from Brown University with a degree in comparative literature and French translation. She then lived in France for five years, where she worked as a party promoter for Corona Extra, which had everything to do with getting a visa and nothing to do with her degree. Today, Mom lives in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, working as a screenwriter, corporate namer, and humor columnist. Find her on Twitter at cmom. Um, and yeah, I loved your. What is your Twitter thing? Says that you're like a chocolate milk lover. I mean, I there's some interesting milk. facts about you. I really <laughs> love chocolate. It gets me through the day. If I'd been on my game, I would have brought us a carton of chocolate I milk had to mine share. Already. I'm sorry. Oh, you? Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I need it around like three or four. Oh, so it is sort of a daily infusion. Yeah. <laughs> so even when you're traveling, you yeah, try to I keep it. Yeah, I got it at the airport. <laughs> I don't know. I have some lamination and chocolate milk. This is the glamorous uh, life of a debut novelist. This is how we run. <laughs> well, and well, but you write all the time. Like writing yeah. is. So, I mean, obviously, we've got your first. You know, the magic. Yeah. Rose. Yes, the magic rose bush. Rose mm -hmm. bush, and yeah. um, so you're a you're a writer, and I think there was a story where um, uh, I read a, about you where you were sort of torn up because you were trying to get through like the math part of the SAT or so, oh, yeah. Yeah. and, and yeah. your teacher said just. Yeah. Do just get through it. Was a tutor it. of mine. <laughs> it was a yeah. I went to like a fancy um, high school, right? More like a fancy high school that costs a lot of money. So you're supposed to do really well oh. on your SATs, so you can get into a fancy college that costs a lot of money, and then get no job, get like an unpaid internship. That's the way it works. So that is the goal. <laughs> I was doing well in the SAT department in the in the English side, but my math scores were abysmal. You know, they were like 400. That, that think I don't think you can get lower. Um, <laughs> and so I think it was a school. It wasn't even my parents. They said, you know, she has to get the math section up. Like she's too skewed. Mm -hmm. um, they said you you really should get her a tutor. And so I had this math tutor, and it was it was just. Um, 
it was really painful and humiliating for me because if something happens when you ask me to add or so I mean I think I must have some oh. kind of learning disability everything goes blank and it's I like, just ooh. can't yeah. make sense of it and um there was one day I was just getting so frustrated because I knew I was just trying it was just for this one test that I didn't really care about and but I knew it was important and just I started to cry during the tutoring session and yeah the 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 tutor said you know listen Courtney come on everyone at the school knows that you're going to be a writer you just have to take this one stupid test and I was like really does everyone think that like I think that too and it made me feel better so and so what so after six or seven what were you writing like were you always walking around with a notebook were you trying to write like little haikus or were you doing um i didn't i've actually never been the kind of notebook girl well that's not sh i mean I, I guess i always have a pen you know and i'm, I'm more you know I'll write something on a receipt or whatever any if, piece if, of yeah but i'm not surface. like the person that's walking around you know always ready to just leave whatever i'm doing to write um but uh yeah no i was mostly doing short stories and poems as a little girl and then and then well, I guess, yeah, it was, no, it was short stories and poems for a really long time until college when I realized, or was more or less told that my poetry was terrible. Um, oh, that must have or been Or just self-indulgent, but, you know, whose poetry isn't self-indulgent <laughs> when you're in college? Well, oh, well, not everybody's <laughs> college listeners out there. <laughs> keep writing those poems. It, well, it's probably, just keep writing it, but just yeah. know it's probably a little self-indulgent. <laughs> it's fine. But, uh, yeah, and then, and then, uh, this book came about, it was originally a short story, and then I got to 30,000 words, and I thought, you know, I might not know a lot about, like, the literary game, but I bet that's too long for a short story. Like, where am I going to submit this? So a friend said, a friend read it, and she said, Maybe, I think this is a novel, you know, so and I was, thought, okay. And this was, was after school, Courtney? This was after college, yeah. After right after, right after, um, well, yeah, two years after college or something. And so you were in... France at the time. I was time. in France. Yep. And, and you were... I was a party promoter for Corona, as you... Meet. <laughs> yeah, well, it was really... The, I didn't know when I moved to um, Paris. I had a French boyfriend, and he was very sort of, you know, bohemian, and just said, just go to France. You're bilingual. People will just hire you off the airplane, basically. And uh, I never mentioned, you know, the word work visa, so I just had no clue. I had no clue that you have to secure working papers before you go. And um, there's only certain industries you can work in. And I really wanted to work as a French person. I wanted the 35-hour work week. And I wanted the five-week paid vacation and the health insurance. I didn't want to work as an expat, you know. Um, so it took me a while to figure out the way it works. And the way it works is that you, as an American, unless you go... You know, you can be a paralegal pretty easily at an American or, or, or British firm. But if you want to do something a little out of the box, it, it has to be a job that for whatever reason, an EU citizen can't perform. Yeah. Um, so apparently, <laughs> so this was, apparently, this was the job, Courtney. <laughs> I, as an American, am, am able to embody the spirit of Corona beer. <laughs> better than any eu citizen <laughs> you could ever i just it, you outshine them it's yeah it's, i am just representative of, of of corona beer so i was for three years i was um a saleswoman and a party promoter and i had a corona mobile and i drove all around what is a corona mobile it's is not like, like shaped like a beer well bottle, it had beer bottles it? all over it <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it used to be shaped like a beer bottle, but it, that one broke down. <laughs> so I would drive all around Paris and just visit bars and try to get them to stock Corona. And then I had parties with uh, Corona girls in these yellow cat suits. It was... Um, <laughs> yeah. Plus, I mean, it didn't it didn't sell well at all, you know, despite my best efforts. It it was like they wanted to market it as the truly the, you know, the champagne of beers. And um, it was eight euros. And this was in. Oh, my goodness. This was in 2002. It was eight years. You know, That's so they were trying to get people to spend like ten dollars for a, a bottled beer that, well, you know, it tastes quite light if uh compared to most beers that are available in france so but what was great about that job is i didn't really have to do anything until 5 p.m so so you were well i was supposed to be doing excel sheets and stuff but as i mentioned not good at math so i would like outsource those duties to (laughs) you know (laughs) people people at work who had a crush on the like the only american the only girl in the whole company i was the only girl i was the youngest and i was the only non-french person so i got away with a lot um and uh yeah so i outsourced the kind of (laughs) excel sheets and uh i would write during the day and then at night i would take my corona mobile to the bars and um yeah but but that was 10 years ago and, and and you you might notice if you are good at math that 2015 is not 2012, uh, 2002. So, yeah, there was a 10-year interlude. The book almost sold in 10 years ago, and then the deal fell through, and um, that must it have sat been in a box. Oh, it was then. so awful. It was so terrible, because I was living in France, and everything was just going along like a dream, because I didn't, I didn't major in English. I didn't have an MFA program. I just always loved to write, and, um, and uh, it... it I got an agent somewhat easily. How did you do that, Courtney? Because were you sending? I was just sending out unsolicited queries. You know, I just looked in an old book of people's people that they thanked or so. No, I didn't even know to do that. Like the writers' market. Yeah, I bought the writers' market, like an old one from 1987, like used. And uh, this is all good advice, listeners. Right? Yeah, don't do that anymore. <laughs> now, just go to a bookshop and look at your right. Your look at the think about your work. Who does it resemble? Look at that person's book and look at who they thank, and then submit to that agent. Don't get the. <laughs> I don't think people send out. You know, I was sending out like hundreds of unsolicited emails. Are terrible, like all the things you're not supposed to do. I remember sending an email with a subject line like, "This book will change your life." <laughs> But that's really like Walt Whitman esque. Oh, you know, know, like doing your own sort of ad copy. Yeah, <laughs> there's a strong tradition for that. Yes, there is. There's a strong tradition of failing as well. I mean, and looking like a fool. But um, you know, we have to do those things. So yeah, yeah, it, it keeps us humble, mm-hmm. no. <laughs> or at least with good senses of humor. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a short break today on the program. Courtney Mom is here. Her book on the table now out in paperback um you can get copies at literati and your your own favorite bookshops i am having so much fun here without you but we're sure glad you're here with us and text behind the glass and michelle pernia as our studio audience we'll be right back
If you're just tuning in, glad you did. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Courtney Mom is here on Living Writers. Um, Courtney, can you tell us just a little bit about the song we just heard? Yeah. And thanks for choosing the music for today's <laughs> oh, program. Oh, absolutely. I thought that was such a fun request. Yeah, so that was um, a little excerpt, James Blake, retrograde. And uh, I just, he, he just completely makes me melt. And when, uh, when I um, was... Uh, so the long story of this is that, yeah, like I said, it almost sold 10 years ago. It didn't. And I my agent basically forced me to resurrect it like a phoenix out of the black box that it had been living in in my bedroom for a decade. And when I tried to revise it, um, I just couldn't do it. It was too hard. Like there'd be a page that was OK and then there'd be 25 pages that were terrible. And it was just... I finally told her the, the only way I can do this is to completely rewrite it from scratch. So but, what, yeah, and had you ever done that with anything before, Courtney? Oh, God, no. And I told her I wouldn't do I mean, I was dead set against this, but like going back to the James Blake thing, I had just found out I was pregnant when she was trying to convince me to do this. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, I always thought this book deserved a second chance. And if it's going to be now, it has to, it literally has to be right now. I have seven months because I, I had found out I was pregnant when I was two months pregnant already. And uh, the, the James Blake song, for whatever reason, it's just, I don't listen to music while I write, but I listen to it. I would write and go downstairs when I need a break and just blast that song, really blast it. Because I had terrible, terrible nausea. And I don't know why, but that song just really helped me calm down like feel less nauseous and feel very inspired to just make this project happen and, and finish it and then funnily enough my my daughter loves to nap to james blake so i think maybe she from listening to it yeah to well it, i listened to way. that song like <laughs> five she, times a day for months so and she, you were blasting it so she could blast it oh it. she could definitely hear <laughs> it yeah um so that's a, that's the story with that song i really love it Oh, and and how interesting that it's like something that would somehow root you or fuel you, yeah, much <laughs> like the chocolate milk, perhaps, well, yeah, exactly. to go yeah. back into this. Because yeah. so, can you talk about what it takes to revisit uh, a project that was something that was also had you had some distance from it by the yeah. time you took it out of the box? Oh, uh, um, unless it's too. <laughs> no, I mean it was hot. It was. Um, I just don't know how to answer it because it took it takes a lot. I mean, it just in general, it takes stamina to be a writer because you have to believe in yourself when no one else does. I mean, even now, you know, like I've got a book out with a major publisher. I could very well go to Literati tonight and there's no one there. You know, you just never know. You never know. So you have to believe in yourself. 
but you also have to not be too conceited. It's very hard. Um, and then in terms of going back to a project like this, I don't. I literally would not have done it if my agent, who she's my third agent, um, if she didn't believe in it so deeply, and I just I trusted her. I really felt like she was going to be the person who would finally sell this book and would help me make you know the, the best book that it could be. I just um, I just really trusted her. And then I, I also had been married myself when I wrote it the first time. I wasn't married. And, you know, now I've been married 10 years. So I was able to bring, obviously, you know, I was able to bring insight, um, sort of revelations and stuff about what it's like, you know, to be married that I imagined 10 years ago but certainly didn't hadn't lived through so and your your main character richard yeah. is a, a, a male mm -hmm. is the husband in the the this marriage yeah, equation and he's a failed and, monogamist <laughs> and so, he's a british artist yeah and you chose to write um it seems like from a male perspective maybe to have it more imagined so it wasn't as well, because you're talking about how now it's infused more with this maybe insights or, yeah. or so or and I mean, I still think there's compassion there. But the reason I, I I I didn't when I set out to write this, I just started writing it. And he was oh, a man. What was the and first he was British? I didn't. Oh, is that like he like I the didn't first think, image was this. Well, I just character. had the voice in my head. OK. You know, I hadn't plotted every again. In the beginning, it was a short story and I just started writing. Um, it never occurred to me. I didn't actually know what it was about until I started writing it. So I just had this voice in my head and I had the eye. Well, I, it started because I'd seen a, a note on a gallery, on the outside of a um, gallery in Paris that said, it was in French, but it said, Dear Mr. Architect, you were wearing an elegant hat and you wanted to buy the Blue Bear. Oh. So it was a catalyst. I thought, oh, well, what's a Blue Bear? That's so crazy. I, I'm going to write a short story and try to figure out what the blueberry is. So that's how it started. I, I, you know, I was in Europe, so I was like, oh, he's British. He's, a, you know, an artist, British artist. I just started writing. And then it became about um, fidelity, you know. And, and I get asked this a lot, like, why did you write from the male perspective? Number one, I, I usually write from a male perspective. I don't know. I prefer it. It's easier for me to fictionalize um, what I'm writing if I'm not the protagonist, like I'm a woman, you know, I'm American. So this guy is British. He's a man. Right. So it's easier if I'm trying to write from his point of view to make things up. Mm. Whereas when I write from a female point of view, then the mother starts becoming my mother. And it's just hard, harder to make stuff up. Um, and then secondly, it just wouldn't have been, you know, I think I tried to make this kind of a mixture of dark and light and I don't think it, the humor wouldn't have been there if it had been from the female point of view because she's a spurned spouse she, she's angry you don't want to read a whole book from the point of view of someone who's yeah. angry and bitter I don't no, I don't want almost, to write it either so no yeah and and live with it for that long it mm. yeah it almost seems like if that were the choice then you might have to have dif that differing voices coming through and different but what's amazing is that you you trust the voice that you have yeah. that came to you first which was Richard's mm -hmm. for better or for worse <laughs> yeah. and it's turned out for better because yeah, and you've you've like um not that I mean, this is something that is not uncommon. <laughs> it's like I was going to say you humanized him, like as if he were not human to begin with. That doesn't make any sense. But um, no, but I mean, that was when the, the book was rejected um, 10 years ago by like 
everyone. It was all, you know, he's not sympathetic, he's not sympathetic. And I was very conceited at that point in time. And I thought, well, they just can't handle my unlikable narrator, you know. (laughs) But many, 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 many years later, I realized that he actually wasn't, he had no compassion whatsoever. Or maybe he needed that part of the depth to him. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's still people that will read this and think that he's just absolutely unsympathetic and they can't find empathy for him whatsoever um that's fine i mean you're entitled to your own opinion but i think i just it's inconceivable to me how self-righteous people can be about like not making mistakes like what do they never make mistakes in their marriage i'm not talking about sexual mistakes but like i think there's a lot more going on behind the curtains than people want to admit you know like people mess up all the time in all different ways and um the beauty is like trying to forgive people for things i think but and so this is also a novel about that try like somebody attempt to forgive i mean i I was just really interested because i didn't see a lot of examples around me either in film or in um literature of people trying to especially married people trying to work through an infidelity you know just you see things where people you know, romantic comedies where they get divorced right away and, like, someone gets tons of money out of the settlement and gets to keep the house. And yeah. it just kind of becomes this this joke. Or, or or you have, you know, even I was watching Louis C.K. last night. And even with that, like, all of his run-ins with his ex-wife, they tend to be pretty, like, oh, these people really, they still hate each other. Um, which is realistic, I and think. that's one... Right? But what would have been interesting is... Well, what you don't see is like, okay, well, when things were really going badly, you don't see the people trying to work through it, especially if infidelity is involved, I think. I don't know. Forgiveness is not, maybe it's just not like a popular subject. (laughs) (laughs) Bring it back. Bring back forgiveness. If you take anything away from today's show. Bring back forgiveness. Bring back forgiveness. Because I think I... And if, if people, you know, deserve to be forgiven. I mean, we're not going to like forgive Hitler, right? Right, right. (laughs) Like there's certain people that don't deserve. There's there's like a, like a lot, there are some lines that we don't, but I think because Jim Shepard went in the blurb for the book, right? He's like, let's see, here's like, uh, I'm trying to, and maybe I'll just read the whole quote. Um, Jim Shepard, friend of the show, antic, sexy, satirically deft, and of course funny. This novel is also on both the personal and political level smart about the bottomlessness of our capacities for self-sabotage and moving about the fierceness of our yearning to make good. I so- died the day that came in. I could not believe. I mean, I I literally just like couldn't get up off the floor. I admire him so much as a writer, and you know he's like way way literary, and I, this is like accessible literary fiction and and oh god i mean it was like it was almost meant more than like having the book published at all i just i, I was really honored that he wrote that you know it was very exciting <laughs> so, so, i mean it's jim shepherd so like, courtney you didn't I, like was it like sort of out of the blue that you didn't ask no jim? i'd asked him you, oh okay I, the thing is when i because i didn't have an mfa um this whole, you know, you have to ask people for blurbs thing was tough for me because I didn't have teachers or colleagues or anything. Um, and so I had gone to the Tin House Writers Workshop one summer. And you write for them, too. I do, yeah. Courtney, right? Yeah, I, I, I love them. And um, 
But before all that, I just went one summer as a student and we organized this kind of guerrilla reading and I got up and read something and uh, Jim Shepard was the only teacher that came to our guerrilla reading and he, he found me the next day in the cafeteria and, and said, you know, I really loved what you read. And so many, many months after that, especially because he lives in the Berkshires, I thought, oh my God, at some point, you know, I should really just sort of lock this down like I, I should make an effort you know to thank him and go out where he lives and you know buy him a, a drink or lunch or something and and just sort of try to um establish some kind of relationship because he's sort of the only writer you know who I admire and whose name means something that I know and so however many years later I you know we'd been in touch I see him from time to time at different events and you know, I begged him. I actually made a video and I was so pregnant and I made a, a video. I was like three weeks away from giving birth and I just begged him for a blurb. I sent him the video? Yeah, I sent that. him a video. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. I think he thinks I'm a little crazy, but I and like him what, a lot. Was he there for your karaoke too from the Tin House? Oh. Maybe that also made an Not impression. Not that summer, but yeah, he, you know, he, he, he was there for, I, I mean, I think he kind of won karaoke just in general in America. Like, <laughs> He's a winner. Yeah. <laughs> As are you, Courtney, mom. Um, today on Living Writers, Courtney is here. Uh, her, her debut novel, I Am Having So Much Fun Here Without You, this year, now, out in paper. I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Day on Living Writers. Courtney Mom is here. I'm having so much fun here without you. Um, what a great cover. I love that we've got like the Eiffel Tower on the stamp, Courtney, and the the border is the airmail postal uh, letter uh, design. <laughs> um, you know, we've been talking a lot about this 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 marvelous book and mm -hmm. that you're so funny as well. <laughs> and and you've got a section opened up. Yep. Would you mind reading? A, I'm like going to read. It's it's and... not funny, unfortunately. Oh, no. <laughs> the part before you have to imagine before this, like I'm hysterical and the book is hysterical. <laughs> and now we're going to get a little dark. So here we go. Um, that meeting with her parents was probably the first time I felt like there was someone other than Anne whom I couldn't disappoint. 
Nowadays, there are loads of people in my life to let down. My daughter, my gallerist, the baker at the boulangerie who looks absolutely crestfallen when I don't have exact change. But up until then, it had just been Anne and me. There were fewer expectations. There were so many fewer things to do wrong. We simply had to love each other and earn enough for an occasional dinner out. It was easy. Easy. Love was all there was. But no one tells you what you start doing to each other when you wed. People talk about the stability and the comfort of knowing that you have someone who will always have your back. They speak of the convenience of pooled assets and tax benefits and the joy of raising children. But no one explains that six years into it, a simple request to pick up a half pound of ground turkey and maybe some organic leeks on your way home is going to send the free blue sky crashing down like a pillory around your neck. See you clutching your paper number at the butchers, ashamed to be just another sucker, bringing white meat home. And no one tells you what it's going to feel like when the mystery is gone, or about the roots of repugnance that will twitch and rise inside you when you realize that your spouse has met the actual person behind each name in your phone's repertoire, that she knows exactly how much wine you've drunk on any given evening, knows when you are constipated, that she has stooped over to pull your grain chest hair from the drain, and that the familiarity between between you has transformed from something comforting into something corrosive. You can't believe that you used to spend entire afternoons with your tongues inside each other's mouth. Can't remember when it started, the tit for tat, the scorecards, the bonus points and penalties for things promised and not done. No one explains that the busier you become with your careers and house and children, the more time you'll find to disappoint each other, squirreling away indignities like domestic accountants, tallying regrets. Thank you, Courtney. Jeez. Yeah, that was, I said I was like, and it's so funny. I, no, I promise it is. I go see, it's a seesaw book because that's just how I see life. You know, you go from, yes. you're like walking around, skipping, you just got a good grade on something, you're going to go out for beers, you get, you get hit by a bus. You know, I don't know, like yeah. life is yeah. not well, always in one color. Exactly. exactly. And well, I think it's important that you read that Thanks for reading that. Okay. So I didn't mean to just then make light of it because no, I no. think that's the that seems to me like that might be one of the sections that became part of the book in when you rewrote the book. Well, every, or, everything was new. I just rewrote it completely from scratch, right? Yes, but this uh, even the idea that was there because oh, where yeah. he's making huh. well, yeah, because he because he does seem like. Someone where they're talking about hard truths, yeah, but but looking at them in a way that seems like you could you would have compassion for them. Yeah, I mean, I mean that particular passage, I just think it's just it's pretty it's pretty dark. I don't know. I mean, it's a funny book, you know. Like the the reviews are funny because some of them are like it's a beach read, and then others I, I get that. like serious. <laughs> I got serious critiques from like Washington Journal and New York Times, and no one's treating it like a beach read. Yes. So, well, because, uh, and that it's New a York, little bit of both. It's, it's like an eroded beach <laughs> be, with a rising seas. <laughs> <laughs> and blood diamonds are coming up on the that's what kind of beach reading this <laughs> and the sea glass is too sharp so you should throw it back and everyone's yeah everyone's feet are bleeding from yeah it's that kind of yeah. i mean no i did actually it's funny that you mentioned that because i did see some of the like the beach read thing and i was like 
huh, maybe because of the title. Like I'm thinking, oh, the title is great for that. Like one of those ones where you might want to yeah. just have it open and so other people can see what you're I reading. I think there's definitely but... an accessibility to it. Oh, yeah. You and know, you mentioned right? that like, earlier, too. Well, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a, a love story in Paris. So, you know, it's not it's not Jim Shepard. <laughs> Hello, Jim. If you're Hi, Jim, if you're listening. Radio Land. But but the thing is, is it is um, dark and you're writing about hard things that are hard to hard to say and mm. unglamorous things as well about the human condition. Yeah, I tried. I mean, but that you can I just think marriage is I'm just amazed now when I go around and see couples who seem well adjusted. I'm always really perversely interested to know if at home everything's like hunky do Oh, we're going to talk about this, but I'm well, doing this love yes. notes thing. And, and uh, it's a photo campaign where I'm asking people to send me selfies of themselves holding up um, a, a note card or a piece of paper that shares a lesson they've learned about love. And one of my uh, friends sent one in and it said, you know, have at least one good kiss every day. And I was like, oh, my God, what? They've, she's been married for 13 years. Like, you guys are still making out like that's insane. Oh, my God what's wrong with me you know but um yeah so that love notes thing hashtag love notes um you can send me uh submissions on twitter or on my facebook author page um if you look at my tumblr courtneymom.tumblr.com you'll see um a bunch of them and it's been really fun but meaningful because a lot of some people are sending things that are you know like seahorses and balloons and stuff but a lot of people are sending in some pretty um, hard-won lessons that they've learned about being in kind of long-term relationships. So it's been a fun project. I think um, one of the ones, it seemed like as you're on the book tour, yeah. you're asking people that are like the booksellers. Yeah, so yeah, maybe the booksellers. at Literati, yeah. you'll have some new ones from yeah, Literati. That would be good. Um, where someone was like, don't, something about don't have a fixer-upper or something. And yeah, don't invest in a fixer-upper. <laughs> like, don't, you know, hitch your wagon to a fixer-upper. Which, I mean, I don't know. Yes, yes or no. Like, because maybe we're all fixer uppers in some. Yeah, way, just but... I guess it depends what kind of fixer upper. You know, if it's someone <laughs> who's gonna burn your house down and liquidate all your assets, like that's probably not the person you want to um, invest in. I like where you go with these examples. Yeah, kind of... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a chocolate milk swilling no. girl talking, which is great. I, I contain multitudes, as we all do. And so. so with this project, it seems like it's definitely, I can see the hinge to it and mm -hmm. that this obsession that we know from the magical rosebush has right, been right. long <laughs> in within defining yeah. and part of your uh, subconscious and, mm -hmm. um, and your creative work. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that are you using for the next project, Courtney? Or um, kind, I'm working on something right now that has a lot to do with eco-anxiety, if you can't tell. That's where all the like eroded beach stuff comes in. Um, so, yeah, there's eco-anxiety, but then there is some fidelity issues and sexual anxiety in there as well. So, is yeah, it, I guess these will be common themes for me. <laughs> themes you can't shake. No, I guess and not. why would you want to? You want, because I don't know. Everyone can identify. They are genuine. I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> are you right? Are you... Um, is it? Do you think you're writing a novel now? It's a novel. Is, okay. Oh, you, okay. Oh, it has like a due date now. It's it's yeah, it's happening. <laughs> yeah. 
is so it, it's exciting. Is it um, something, are you able to, with your sort of, like now that you're on book tour, mm-hmm. do you take a break or are you able to keep working or what I thought happens I, with the writing? I thought I'd be able to, because especially I have a toddler at home, so I thought, oh man, this is going to be awesome. I'll write in the hotel during the day, but it's just not going to happen. I'm realizing just from this being the first, well, I literally, the time is not there. I'm changing cities every single night. Every morning I get on a plane. So Where, where do you go next, Courtney? Tomorrow I go to Chicago. And then how many more dates? And then I go to LA. I'm in 13 cities in like two weeks. So so, so people should Google to see what where you are yeah. on your tour when they're Yeah, I would love this. that. I just come out even if you've never been to a reading. Even if you don't like the book because it's just then we'll have an interesting talk about it and no a lot of these cities i don't know anyone and you know like i said there could be no one there which is fine but it would be more fun if there were people there. didn't you write an advice column about oh, yeah. things you could learn from reading, reading series, series? Yeah. yeah yeah that's um i'm quite proud of that article because uh it, it it has some good advice for people who either don't want to do an mfa or can't afford one about how for the cost of a beer a night you can go to reading series and and build your own literary community and get ahead and it it's about it's basically how i built my own literary community so and so and you did so you found the people oh yeah that... i bought them beers i made well i made this thing i worked <laughs> was it da- back to your corona days then? no 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 <laughs> this this i was back in the states and i would but i was living in massachusetts but i work on the side and um branding as a namer i name products and brands and so i'd taken a job um part-time during the week in manhattan and to kind of just be able to swallow the cost of what my apartment there was um i promised myself that for the three nights i was in manhattan every week i would go to one reading a night and um introduce myself by hand you know by shaking someone's hand to one person at every reading and i did that for um Oh my God! Like two months or something. Yeah. That's pretty. Yeah, great. Like, <laughs> I, I, but the thing was, like, it it at first it was awful, awful, just going up to a total stranger and introducing myself. But after three nights, it felt great, and it only took like five of these readings before people just assumed I was some new MFA student, you know, because the liter- literary worlds are pretty small and they just thought I was someone that they hadn't seen before. Maybe I'd been locked in my room writing, and they he started to like. You know, after two or three weeks, I started getting invited behind the mic. It was an amazing experience, and it, it completely launched my career. I mean, because for the first time, I was meeting, started to meet editors of the places I'd been sending pieces. Because they're also writers. Right, and, they, you know, they'd be like, oh, yeah, you've submitted. Here's my email. Submit it here. We don't even read the stuff at the slush pile. You know, like... I got my foot in the door and, and um, made some wonderful friendships that exist to this day. And it was uh, it was fun. And like I said, I mean, most of these places, it's like half-priced beer during the reading. So it's cheap. It's a cheap <laughs> and, and fun way. And, and literary readings are a great way. That's what this article is about in Tin House. It's called, like, Six Ways Reading Series Can Improve Your Writing. Um, that's also where I started allowing myself to use humor because I would go to the readings and I would see these people read and the the ones who were not who were keeping people from texting and looking at things on there who were keeping the audience engaged were the ones who were incorporating some kind of humor even if it was a dark piece even if it was poetry they were using some kind of humor and people just sat up straighter they listened they put their phones away and you know, I started paying attention to that and giving myself more permission to use humor in my own writing. So it was a big, that was my like coming of age moment, I guess. 
because well, it seems like it's something that it's how you think anyway yeah. so but it's weird that somehow when we how we think isn't always how we because we all have these expectations or ideas about writing don't well we? i wasn't i mean i was it was what i was reading wasn't like that you know I, I i wanted to be published in these places where like you know i'm never gonna get published like the new yorker and all, i saw all the, never say never well yeah <laughs> but um my point is, is i was trying to write sad fiction like that made you feel really melancholy when you read because to me i was that's what was getting published and that's what serious literary fiction was and that's what people respected and i spent a lot of years writing that and it doesn't it didn't come to me naturally and uh made me feel miserable and it never got published so you know finally i was like Phew, shaking this off <laughs> i am having so much fun here without you <laughs> now out in paper um Courtney, thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Come back anytime. I would love to. Um, you've been listening to Living Writers. Um, Courtney, Mom, I am having so much fun here without you. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
What is the musical topic of the day? Bebop, so the critics say. Well, that was okay. Who were the originators? Do you know? Yardbird and Dizzy tell me. I think it's quite so. Now, I'm just quoting fellows like Toscanini and the Kaus. Well, as long as I'm hip to it, I think I'll hip it to the house, explain it to the folks. Bebop, my friends, was just a whole lot of fun. You could take any old riff and make a real long run.
Toscanini and the cows. Well, as long as I am hip to it, I thought I'd tell the folks, explain it to the folks. Bebop, my friends, was just a whole lot of fun. You could take any old riff and make a real long run. Long You're listening to WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. This is Kurt Elling. Don't touch that dial. You are listening to WCBN. Bienvenidos a la media hora norteña.